Come now, Holy Spirit. Come and overrule and overwhelm. Overrule and overwhelm my mouth and my words, our ears and our hearing. That what is said today, what is heard today, is in accordance with the word of God, for the good of God's people, and for God's greater glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning we're going to spend our sermon time uh, looking at another post-resurrection appearance of Jesus from John chapter 21. And in John's gospel, one of the driving questions is a relatively simple one, but one that John goes to great lengths to try to answer. The question that drives John's narrative is simply this, who is Jesus? Who is this individual who comes out of Nazareth, who comes out of Galilee, who does these things, who dies on the cross, who's raised from the dead? Who is Jesus? And the way that John goes about answering the question primarily is twofold. He records Jesus' teaching, his self-revelation through his word, Jesus' own words about who he is, and he records Jesus' signs. He records what Jesus did. And so to answer the question, who is Jesus, John pays careful attention to word and deed. And John tells us in his gospel account, John tells us that the deeds that Jesus did revealed his glory. For example, in chapter 1, verse 14, John writes this, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the only Son from the Father. How do we know this? How does John answer the question? By showing signs that reveal glory. Signs are miracles. Signs are wonders. Signs are things that are not naturally occurring but can be supernaturally done. And so in the gospel according to St. John, John spends all this time showing Jesus as the Lord of all creation, the Son from the Father, the true master and commander of the universe, who does signs to reveal his identity, to reveal his glory. Jesus then turns water into wine. He healed sick kids. And he raised lame men to walk. Jesus fed a crowd in the wilderness with bread and fish. He walked on water. Jesus made the blind to see. Jesus brought Lazarus out from the grave. He showed forth his glory on the cross. And then he walked out of the grave in victory over death. He shows himself. He answers the question, who is Jesus? And near the end of the gospel, St. John writes that the purpose of these signs, the purpose of his teaching, the purpose of his revelation, Jesus' revelation, is so people may believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, we may have life in his name. Now, the far majority, the most of the signs that Jesus ever did were before his resurrection. And I think we can say that the cross and the resurrection of Jesus are sort of the crowning signs in the whole book of signs, the book of John. But even after his resurrection, Jesus didn't stop performing miracles. Jesus didn't stop revealing himself. Even after this ultimate sign of resurrection, Jesus continued to reveal who he was, the Son of God, for the purpose of raising up faith 
Here in our passage for today, John chapter 21, 1 through 19, the risen Jesus reveals himself in a superabundance of a catch of fish. He reveals himself as he restores St. Peter. He reveals himself and calls those who would follow after him on mission. The very first verse of chapter 21 we read this morning. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. And what is the way that Jesus revealed himself in John 21? A catch of unusual size. And Simon Peter, Thomas, and Nathaniel, James and John, those are the two sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples unnamed decided to go fishing. Now, most likely, they had left Jerusalem uh, shortly after Jesus' appearances to the apostles in the eight days following his resurrection, and they'd gone up to Galilee. We shouldn't be surprised by this. Jesus is recorded as telling his disciples in Mark chapter 14, I'll meet you in Galilee. And in Mark chapter 16, he tells the women, remind the disciples to meet me in Galilee. So we shouldn't be surprised that the disciples are in the Galilee. And while there, either out of economic need, perhaps out of hunger, maybe simply out of the desire to have some kind of normalcy in their lives in the midst of these swirling events, Peter and six others decide to go fishing. We should really say that they went fishing because they weren't catching, that's for sure. John tells us that they were doing more fishing than catching as they caught nothing all night. But then Jesus came along, and he stood on the shore. John tells us something that's kind of peculiar. They didn't recognize him. They didn't know who he was. They didn't recognize him until Jesus himself revealed who he was. It's a very familiar story. We know how this goes. A children's chapel over in Noah's Ark, we not too infrequently sing a song about Peter and James and John in a sailboat out on the beautiful sea. They fished all night, but they didn't catch anything. But then along came Jesus walking on the seashore. We know this song, right? Or am I the only one that has that privilege? <laughs> okay, thank you, Jeannie. Appreciate that. They'd been fishing all night. They'd caught nothing. Jesus says, throw your net on the other side. And they did. Perhaps out of desperation, perhaps in their weariness, perhaps they thought that the stranger on the shore could see something in the water that they couldn't see from the boat, and so they threw it out on the other side. And they caught such a large quantity of fish, they couldn't haul in the net. These are professional fishermen who have such a large catch of fish, they can't haul in the net. And that's the moment... Something about this event, that's the moment where John tells of himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer gar garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Peter's the only man who put on clothes to go swimming. Now what's happening here? Is this just a nice story about Jesus providing for his boys? I think it is that, but I think that Jesus is doing far more as he is uh, revealing himself in this superabundant provision. He's re revealing who he is in this surprising provision. He's revealing himself to them for a specific purpose. He's reminding them of their call to be fishers of men. This miraculous catch of fish is not the first time that Jesus has revealed himself 
and his glory through a superabundant provision of something in the Gospel of John. In John chapter 2, Jesus and his disciples and his mother are at a wedding in, the Ca- in Cana of Galilee, and there Jesus changed water into wine. And he didn't just turn a little bit of water into a little bit of wine. Jesus provided somewhere between 120 and 130 gallons of the best wine possible. And John explains in chapter 2, verse 11, this, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and he manifested his glory. The result of the revelation and the manifestation of his glory, his disciples believed in him. John chapter 6, near the Sea of Tiberias, that's the Sea of Galilee, Jesus was with a large crowd in the wilderness. He's on the side of a mountain, and there he fed a huge crowd using only the lunch bag of a little boy. And this large crowd (coughs) ate until they were full. They ate the bread and the fish until they were full. And then the disciples gathered up 12 baskets of leftovers. And John explains, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus reveals himself. He shows his glory for the creation, the strengthening of faith. The superabundant and surprising provision of Jesus reveals his identity. It shows forth his glory as the Lord of all creation, as the eternal Son of God made flesh. It shows forth who he is, and it itself calls us to believe. When Simon Peter finally pulled the net ashore in this event from John chapter 21, it was full of large fish, 153 of them. And while there have been attempts to explain that number, 153, and some of the attempts are more convincing than others, let's recognize that Peter, James, and John were fishermen, and as such, they would have kept records of their catches, especially catches of unusual size. Can we call those cusses, catches of unusual size, C-U-S? No Princess Bride fans in here? (laughs) Rodents of unusual size? Thank you, someone. But why would Jesus do this? Why would he need to continue to reveal himself to his disciples? Well, we have hints from the gospel. He revealed his glory for the strengthening of faith. He revealed his glory in John chapter 2 so that people would see who he was and believe. He revealed his glory in in abundance in John chapter 6 so that people would see who he was and and believe. Why is that any different than John chapter 21? In the post-resurrection, Jesus still shows himself, still reveals himself, so that he might quicken, strengthen, and confirm the faith of the disciples. In this act of grace, he shows who he is to help the disciples realize that what they think had happened, Jesus being raised from the dead, really did happen. In this moment of grace, he reveals himself so that the disciples can recognize and know that the very one they watched die, the very one they encountered on the day of his resurrection in the locked room, he is the one standing on the shore so that they might be strengthened in their faith. Time had gone on since the original encounter with the resurrected Jesus. What happens when time goes on from some experience? You begin to doubt. You begin to second guess. You begin to say, hey, did someone slip us a Mickey in our, uh, our Manischewitz? And all of a sudden, we all had the same hallucinatory effects, and we just dreamed that Jesus showed up? No, Jesus is there on the seashore, giving them an abundance of fish, serving them breakfast, talking with them, interacting with them, revealing his glory to strengthen, to confirm, to quicken their faith. 
And he does this, I believe, to remind them of their purpose, to remind them of the mission he had given them. This isn't the first time that Jesus has provided a miraculous, a surprising, a superabundant catch of fish. He did this at the very beginning of his ministry as he called Peter and James and John to be his disciples. In Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11, at the very beginning of the ministry, Jesus told the men, Peter, James, and John, to cast their nets on the other side. And we're told by St. Luke that they caught a large number of fish and their nets were breaking to the point where two boats had to come and try to pull in the hull, and the two boats began to sink. And in that action of Luke chapter 5, after he reveals his authority, after he reveals his glory, after he reveals who he is, he then tells the fishermen, truly I tell you, from now on, you will be catching men. At the beginning of the ministry, Jesus fills their nets with fishes and gives them a mission and purpose. At the end of their ministry, at the end of his ministry, before his ascension into heaven, he once again fills their nets with fishes, implying from now on you will be catching men. The superabundant catch in John 21 reveals Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God. It strengthens faith, reminds them of mission. But Jesus in John chapter 21 does more than just strengthen faith and remind of mission. He restores to ministry and he sends out. Jesus provides abundant grace, abundant restoration to one who desperately needed it. Anyone seen the book and the film Seabiscuit? All right, just, okay, a handful of us, great. The book and film Seabiscuit tell the story. We need to really see some more movies in this congregation, right? <laughs> the book and the film Seabiscuit tell the story of one of the greatest racing horses of all time. And at one point in the film, one of the main characters, Tom Smith, was a broken down, unemployed horse trainer. He was a cowboy. And he was asked by millionaire Charles Howard why he rescued a horse that was going to be humanely put down with a broken leg, rather than let it die. And Tom Smith replied, you don't throw a whole life away just because it's banged up a bit. And as the story continues, uh, uh, Mr. Howard and Mr. Smith, they find and rescue Seabiscuit. They bring him, uh, he, his, it was a horse who'd been mistreated, they lead him into rehabilitation, they restore him to his full glory, he starts winning races. But later in the narrative, Jockey Red Pollard finally comes around to admitting that some of the problems they've been having in races was due to his blindness in one of his eyes. He's blind in one eye. Tom Smith, the, the trainer, the cowboy who saved the horse's life, his immediate reaction is to fire Red Pollard, find somebody else to ride Seabiscuit. But owner Charles Howard replied, you don't throw away a whole life just because it's banged up a bit. Now think about Peter. On the night before Jesus' resurrection, or night before Jesus' crucifixion, uh, Peter boasted that he would never leave Jesus' side. Peter boasted that he would die for Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as the uh, authorities were coming to arrest Jesus, it was Peter who channeled his inner Obi-Wan Kenobi, whipped out a sword, and sliced off an ear. And then it was Peter who denied Jesus three times. 
In John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, we see the wonderful, we see the graceful, the superabundance of Jesus' restoration. Peter's boasts were made in public, his denials were made in public, and so Peter's restoration is in full view of the six other disciples. He is forgiven and he is restored to place. He's restored to position amongst the disciples, amongst the followers of Jesus. He is sent out on mission. In a series of questions and answers, Jesus brings Peter into full restoration as apostle and as a servant leader of the band of apostles. And as great as Peter's sins were, Jesus' grace was greater. As great as Peter's denials were, Jesus' grace was greater. And as far as Peter's fall was, Jesus' superabundant restoration raises him higher. There is forgiveness, but there's also restoration. There's also a call to ministry. And as Peter affirms his love for Jesus, this time affirming his love for Jesus as Jesus has revealed himself to be crucified and risen, Jesus enlists Peter into the ministry of feeding and tending to Jesus' flock, his disciples. You don't throw away a life just because it's banged up a little bit. You restore it. Paula Stanton received a beautiful ring from her husband, Michael, as they were celebrating their 20th anniversary. But then shortly after the 20th anniversary, tragedy happened. The ring slipped from her finger and was flushed down the toilet. It rested in the sewer line for three years until the public works department found uh, the ring as they were doing work on that sewer line. Paula had alerted the workers, and a man named Ted Gogol had the ring in his mind when he saw it glittering in the mud, stuck in whatever it is that hangs out in sewer lines. The ring was recovered. It was restored through a boiling treatment of lemon juice and peroxide, and then it was put to work back on Paula's finger right where it belongs. Peter may have thought he was beyond redemption. Peter may have thought he was beyond Jesus' use. Peter may have thought, like the prodigal son, that he was worthy only to be a servant and not a son. But Jesus says, no, you are a son. Come into the house. You are fully restored. The superabundant grace of Jesus, the crucified and risen Lord of all creation, the Savior and the Redeemer, restores Peter fully and calls him to mission. In fact, that's the last word from Jesus in our gospel passage this morning. The last thing we heard from Jesus this morning, about halfway through chapter 21, are the words, follow me. Jesus said this to Peter after he'd restored Peter. He says this to Peter after he had recommissioned Peter, and he, after he had told Peter that he would die for him. The call of Jesus is to follow him and to keep on following him, bearing the cross of discipleship. Peter will physically bear his cross. Jesus tells him, using code language for crucifixion, that Peter will stretch out his hands upon the cross, and in his death he will glorify God. The call to follow Jesus for Peter and for all who would believe is the call to follow Jesus with every aspect of life, knowing both the tragedy and the triumph of Jesus' death and resurrection. 
Jesus explains discipleship in Matthew chapter 16, where he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. Christ demands Peter's all. Christ demands our all. C.S. Lewis put it this way. Christ says, give me all. I don't want so much of your time and so much of your money and so much of your work. I want you. Hand over the whole natural self, all the desires which you think are innocent as well as the ones you think are wicked. The whole outfit. I will give you a new self instead. In fact, I will give you myself. My own will shall become yours. Jesus, who reveals himself in superabundance, who restores with superabundance, gives a mission with superabundance. He calls Peter. He calls James. He calls John. He calls all who would believe in him to follow. You see, this isn't just for Peter. This call to discipleship and ministry is for us. Yes, it's absolutely true. Peter has a unique experience with the risen Christ. It is Peter's experience of a superabundant grace and restoration and redemption. But with that being said, it is not Peter alone that experiences the superabundant grace of the risen Christ and grace and restoration. Jesus, the risen Christ, is the only hope we have. And so while Peter is called to a specific role and a specific end, it is not Peter alone who receives revelation of Jesus, who receives restoration by Jesus, and who is sent out on mission for Jesus. What I'm trying to say, perhaps with some fumbling and bumbling, is this. Jesus still gives with superabundance. Jesus still reveals himself, as we saw last week. Jesus still reveals himself through word, through sacrament, through the ongoing ministry of the Holy Spirit, through community. And Jesus still is about restoring and redeeming sinners who believe in him. And then Jesus takes those whom he's restored, those whom he has redeemed, and he sends them into mission and service. And I don't know about you guys, but this is where I begin to have a bad case of the yeah buts. <laughs> yeah, I love you, Jesus. Thank you for revealing yourself. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for forgiving me. I love you, Jesus. Thank you for restoring and redeeming me. But when it comes to mission, I'm a little bit too busy over here. When it comes to service, I'm a little bit preoccupied with this. I'm not quite good enough to do that. I don't think you're really calling me to go there. Love that person? Eh. As one Christian thinker has put it, some Christians want enough of Christ to be identified with him, but not enough to be seriously inconvenienced. And yet the superabundant provision, the superabundant restoration of Jesus expects and obligates us to the abundant call to follow him in ministry, in mission, and in service. The superabundant call of Jesus sets the agenda for the church. It sets the agenda for the individual parts of the church. We recognize that individual call is going to look different for different people. Every single one of Jesus' hearers were called to find life in him and in his kingdom and then join in his kingdom work. But what that looks like seems to have been different for different people in different places. 
in just a few verses from John chapter 21, beyond our reading for today, Peter's going to look over his shoulder and see John, the apostle, the beloved one. And he's going to say to Jesus, what about that guy? You're calling me to die, to stretch out on the cross, but what about that guy? And you know what Jesus says? Ain't none of your business, Peter. That's the Caleb Miller uh, <laughs> translation. For example, while Jesus called 12 to leave home and follow him on the road, Jesus was absolutely content for Mary, Martha, and Lazarus to be his people in their place. For men and women like Simon, Jim and Elizabeth Elliot, Hudson Taylor, or Amy Carmichael, the call of Jesus meant, meant going to distant lands. For a group of Christian women in the Netherlands, the call of Jesus meant they created a sewing circle to love their Muslim neighbors in the name of Jesus. Those who have re received the superabundant revelation of Jesus, those who have been restored by Jesus, are called to mission and ministry for Jesus. Here at Emmanuel, we believe that we've encapsulated this biblical truth in this vision to be a church that glorifies God by blessing people with gospel ministries that they may believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior and join us in building His kingdom. Because Jesus is the one, Jesus is the one who restores. Jesus is the one who reveals Himself. Jesus is the one who redeems. Jesus is the one who sends on mission. We're simply seeking to respond to His call. To that end, we've committed to the Alpha Course, We've sought to engage the communities around us with Holy Smokes Barbecue Cook-Off and the Arts and Music Festival. We've begun to connect with musicians of all kinds through the Emmanuel Music Project, a free recording studio. Here at the end of this month, we'll continue to seek to serve our community with the blessing of the fleet. And we're going to continue to seek to meet, serve, and love our neighbors around this address, 250 Indian Bayou Trail, and encourage our members to do the same at their home addresses. We'll continue to seek creative means through which we can build a relationship, love people, and witness to Jesus because Jesus is the one who gives with superabundance. Jesus is the one who restores, who reveals. Jesus is the one who saves and who sends. Those who have received the superabundant grace of Jesus, the risen Lord, those who have seen and believed, who have been redeemed and restored, are called into mission and ministry by Jesus the one who reveals himself to answer the question, who is this man? It was true then, it was true for Peter, and it is true now, it is true for us. We can do no other than to respond like Peter to the call of Jesus who gives with super abundance. And I've said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holy and gracious God, we praise you and give you thanks for Jesus. He is the one who saves, he redeems, he restores, and he sends. We pray, gracious God, that you would continue to make much of Jesus in our midst. Reveal Jesus to us through the power of your Holy Spirit, through word and sacrament. And send us out, filled with the Holy Spirit, with boldness and grace to give witness and testimony to those around us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together and continue our worship as we sing.